Oxbus. Coming up on today's episode, we talk a little bit more about gaslighting. Is it intentional? I give some real life user examples of gaslighting, and I talk a little bit more about something I'm noticing more in therapy. Oftentimes, people use my words against me, and I think I've figured out why. All coming up on this episode of The Virtual Couch. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode 132 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, if, you, um, if you're somebody who thinks you've, you've tried everything, uh, to not turn back to any type of pornography or compulsive sexual behavior, um, even when you know it's not the person that you want to be, then you truly owe it to yourself to try something new. Don't give up. Keep up the good fight. Put it behind you once and for all. Head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. And now you can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook. That is new. Uh, Previously, I was pointing people simply to Tony Overbay, licensed marriage and family therapist, but go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and spread the word. Send an episode to somebody that you think that uh, might benefit from one of these episodes. So uh, coming up next, we will get to the topic. Um, Again, putting this whole podcast together using a, a pretty exciting new program. We'll talk more about that right after this opener. Hey, welcome to today's episode of The Virtual Couch. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about gaslighting. And uh, I have to admit, this is something I get a lot of emails about. And you start to notice, if you really look at the data, the analytics behind the podcast, if I mention gaslighting, if I mention something to do with narcissism or something to do with maybe couples counseling, those episodes uh, get a lot more downloads than any other. So I know that this is a topic that is uh, being discussed often and people want to know more about it. And I also get emails of people that give me gaslighting examples. Those still come in almost daily. And I think I'm up to about 50 50 or so pages, single spaced of examples that people have sent in. It breaks my heart, but also a lot of the emails that accompany these examples say that until the listener heard a gaslighting episode of the podcast, that they weren't aware um, that there was a name to what they felt like their spouse did, or they just felt like they were the ones going crazy. So I'm, I'm grateful that people at least are having some awareness around something that is not necessary, that it's not uh, it's not productive, it's not helpful, it doesn't help a relationship thrive. And so if you do feel like you are a victim of gaslighting, or if you feel like you're somebody who you're recognizing, man, I do that, I do gaslight, then get help, read more about it, go see a professional. Um, this podcast is in, in no way a replacement for professional therapy, but uh, hopefully it's going to bring some awareness and lead people to therapy. But before I get a little bit further into the episode today, I had talked last time, the episode I released earlier this week, it was part one of what I want to do, a two-part series talking about pornography and just kind of saying, hey, this is what it would look like if you're sitting on the couch across from me, and here's the approach that I'd like to take. I just I'm always thankful for the the wonderful feedback. I really do appreciate that. And I alluded to recording on a new program, and I didn't really say much about it. And I just wanted to talk for two seconds about that 
because I'm actually going to have a couple people from the company on the podcast in the not too distant future because it's just it's a it's a nice story. It's one of those stories where uh, sounds like people kind of uh, that had had various backgrounds at different companies following a passion, following their dreams, putting out um, a program. And so I read this uh, thing called Pod News every day. It comes in about four in the morning and I like to get to my office really early. That's when I feel like I can do some writing or recording, that sort of thing before clients come in. And I'm reading the Pod News and there's a link to this. Um, it says a new company called Auxbus, A-U-X-B-U-S. It said that Auxbus is, it has this new technology, this new recording technology. And the recording technology is, uh, it just helps you put together an entire podcast with the intros and with the music. And then not only that, but uh, these are all former audio engineers that have uh, pretty pretty impressive uh, resumes, careers. And so then they take care of all of that, the, the leveling of sounds and, and just making things sound nice and crisp and even. So it's this professional recording um, sound. And it's also put together in this program where, you know, you just kind of click a button, you record and it has cool music and that sort of thing. So, so I, I, man, talk about impulsive. I just clicked on it. And, uh, and I just recorded that episode. And so after I recorded it, I felt like that was, that was kind of fun. It was exciting. You go to this part of the page where you just click build the episode and an error message came up. So I panicked. I really did. And I realized, I mean, man, I had, from the time I had clicked on the pod news link to the point where I had recorded an episode was probably less than 45 minutes. And the episode was about 41 minutes long. So, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. And so I immediately sent uh, an email to their support and I heard back within, I think it was a few minutes and they were just, Hey, thanks so much. And, um, and here's what we found. And so then it was over Memorial day weekend and uh, they, they just kind of went back and forth with me and they identified some issues. They were grateful that uh, I, I had jumped on really quick to try the program. I think it's still in beta. And, uh, and just by the time I'm sitting there in a hotel room on Monday morning on Memorial Day, I'm still trading emails and they're, they're, they've got it fixed. They've got the episode, um, completed. I uploaded it and I just really, it's kind of fun to work with new. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of new technology. I spent 10 years in software before I became a therapist. I talk about that on some of the episodes. And so I don't know. I enjoy that. It was kind of fun. But when I hit, uh, put the episode together and then all of a sudden I got this error message, you know, there was this part of me that thought, oh my gosh, I, I didn't record a backup. Sometimes when I record interviews, I'll record, uh, I'll have a recording going on my phone just as a backup. When note to myself, I am not doing that right now. And I'm, I'm recording again through Oxbus, which is uh, kind of exciting. But so I just thought that was kind of a fun experience interacting with a, a company that is exciting and eager. And so they put the episode together and I just, I, I'm using it again today. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. So if you are looking to record podcasts, uh, check them out, oxbus.com. I don't get anything from that. Um, auxbus.com. And uh, it's just kind of this all-in-one recording platform, which is pretty impressive. All right, let's get to, and before I even go more about the gaslighting, I, I think I talked about something that I'm noticing. So here's, here's the scenario is that I often have people say to me, hey, did you really tell my teenager this? Or did you really tell my spouse this? And, and I have to tell you, I, I, my goal as a therapist, and I, I'm not saying that maybe I was perfect at this from the very beginning, but boy, you just got to be honest and you have to be authentic and all of those kind of things. And part of the reason I love having a podcast is I can tell somebody, here's this model that I feel is effective in, in marriage communication, uh, emotionally focused therapy, EFT. And sometimes when I'm telling somebody, uh, when they hear for the first time that, hey, no, you're putting out this emotional bid, you're being vulnerable. And if your spouse is not having empathy for what you're putting out there, then of course, you're going to eventually have these um, walls built up or you're going to get angry or you're going to withdraw and I know that at times people feel like I'm just saying what they want to hear, especially 
for the fact that they're paying me. So I love having a hundred and something podcasts up there where I can say, hey, here's half a dozen episodes on EFT. And so I promise you, I'm not just blowing smoke. This is a, this is a real thing or the acceptance and commitment therapy stuff. Or that's a big reason I wanted to record that episode about the pornography addiction earlier this week, because I want people to know that, no, I'm a strength-based guy. I'm telling you, shame does not work in this situation. And uh, we got to kind of keep trying. And so I know those can sound cliched, but I, you know, I want people to know that I'm being as honest and open, sincere, that sort of thing. So the same thing applies when I'm working in couples therapy, because at times you'll have one individual in and then uh, you'll get the spouse in the next time. And so here's the, here's kind of the setup. In the past, I would hear, hey, my spouse said that you told them that uh, they're doing nothing wrong. Is that true? And it's like, no, uh, you know, they, I mean, first of all, I'm not going to tell somebody, hey, you're doing something wrong. I mean, I'm going to kind of lead them down that path to recognize the things that they're doing that don't go, that are, they're maybe counter to the their goals. But uh, am I going to tell somebody, look, dummy, you know, you're doing the wrong thing? Kind of not, not my style. But here's what I've always thought in the past. Or another good example is when I will have a mom reach out to me, I'm maybe seeing a teenage uh, boy for pornography addiction. And she says, uh, you know, did you really tell him to play video games, you know, turn to video games? And it's like, well, yes. I mean, you know, you're thinking I'm just telling him, hey, champ, why don't you just play more video games? But when it's you're trying to break somebody away from, you know, watching hardcore pornographic videos in the world of harm reduction. Yeah, let's uh, let's turn to a video game instead, Um, because we have to kind of start working towards something more strength based or positive. And that is uh, is not you know, viewing pornography. So, so I know there's various ways where my words are used against me. And and typically I will tell someone that uh, is asking me, did you really say, and then whatever they're going to say is that a couple of things are at work. One is that you have to factor in that when someone hears something, especially in therapy, they are going to hear it through their own filter. They're going to hear the things that they want to hear. They're going to take away from the words that I say, or an article that they read, or a podcast that they listen to, the things that they really feel apply to them or the, you know, human nature. They're going to, they're going to typically hear the things that they want to hear. Then you've got a, a then they're going to talk to their spouse or they're going to talk to their parent or they're going to talk to their whoever, whoever is in their life. And they're going to now conscious or subconscious filter that once again, you know, now we're into that good old game of telephone. So now it's going to be, well, Tony said this. And a lot of times I'll even tell my clients, Hey, if you, if you're in a, in a jam and, you know, and uh, you really know what you need to do, but you're afraid to tell your partner that this is what you need to do. In that scenario, sure, you can you can blame it on me. You know, if I'm if I tell a guy who's trying to overcome pornography addiction that he needs to, um, I don't know, that he needs to do some meditation, or if he needs to to get a, a daily you know uh, routine together, and if for some reason he's saying I can't tell my wife that, you know, she'll think it's an excuse. Then it's like, okay, well, blame it on me. You know, that that's fine. So in those scenarios. Um, I think it's a little bit different, but what I will often hear is, you know, did you really tell my husband that I'm the one that's crazy or that sort of thing, or that again, that he's not doing anything uh, that's bad. And those are just times where it's like, well, no, I, I know I didn't say that. So here's the, here's my big epiphany this week is the whole, you know, I model what I, what I preach. I model the methods that I use. And in the emotionally focused therapy world, it is all about when somebody is talking, when somebody's putting out what, what we call an emotional bid when they're trying to open up, when they're trying to be vulnerable, when they're trying to make sense of where they're at in their life. The, the job of, I feel, the therapist or in a healthy relationship, the job of the partner is to have empathy. It's to tell me more about that. What is that like for you? When do you think this is the first time that that came up? That must be difficult. Give me examples. And sometimes when someone is being heard for the first time, maybe, 
or when they are, are haven't given this safe place to really kind of explore their emotions and where things came from and, and kind of start talking about things that they've maybe suppressed for a long time, that feels good and, and, it, and it feels validating. And so what I have started to notice is that I've had a few examples lately where someone then goes home after I have just felt so, you know, connected to a client in a session and just validated the heck out of them and really made sense because for the first time they've said, man, this happened when I was a kid. This happened when I was in elementary school. Here's what happened in middle school. You know, here's when I tried to put myself out there in high school. Here's the way my parents reacted. And so, man, makes sense why now here's what I'm doing or here's why I did the things that I did. And so when I'm when I'm validating somebody and just saying, man, I, that, I hear you like that. That's incredible to put that together. That uh, it feels like we're making progress. A lot of times I, I now recognize that that person leaves the office and says, Tony agrees. You know, Tony thinks I'm right. When in reality, that just was empathy. That was validation. Maybe that was something that they haven't had before. So, or there are times where I will have somebody just, you know, Look at a case in couples counseling. I mean, I'm a, I often say I'm a bit of a one trick pony. I know emotionally focused therapy. I know that model. I know that when somebody's putting out the emotional bid, here comes the empathy. So when someone is sitting in front of me and they are telling me repeatedly over and over that they feel like they've done everything that they can do, then I, I have to validate that. You know, if I'm telling them, well, I don't think so, you know, um, I know a lot of people say, well, they, you just need to be real with somebody, but that's saying, you know, you just need to force your agenda on them, which is not helpful. It's not productive. So when I'm telling somebody, man, it sounds like if you feel like you've done all you can do, then it, yeah, it sounds like I'm, you may feel like there's not a lot of hope left. But then, you know, I, I feel like then what the person misses is what comes next. I will have that empathy or validation, but then oftentimes I'll say, but you know, let's, let's throw that through the EFT model. You know, so I, I'm hearing you, you feel like you've done everything you can, but when your partner is saying, I don't, I still don't think this is going to work, you know, just humor me. What's the EFT example of that? You know, it's, then it's tell me more. Tell me why you don't feel this is going to work, you know, and and uh, and I feel like that's the part that often after somebody feels validated, they feel heard, and then they feel like basically I'm telling them you're right, I agree with you. Let's get the pitchforks and go get her. That at that point I don't feel like they're hearing the next part where it's the okay, but but let's get back to like the work we're doing. What would that look like in an EFT world, you know? And so so that's just been a little bit of an epiphany that I've had, and uh, and and so even just the last two or three weeks. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, so I love the fact that in this field you can continue to grow. But uh, the last couple of weeks, when somebody is now, I, I can tell they're feeling validated. Um, I, I I mean, literally just the last few days, even I've said, hey, so I want you to know, like I this is empathy. You know, this is this is what we're trying to model in your relationship, and and I do hear you, and I can I can only imagine how hard that would be. But now let me make sure that I'm throwing the, here's the EFT example back into the, the frame. And so, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to share that because I feel like sometimes when when we don't feel validated ever or very often, then when we do get that validation, I think at times that's what, you know, if we want to go complete cliche and what sometimes drives someone, you know, into the arms or into the lives of someone else other than their partner, it's when it's because that the, the, the other person, the new person is validating this person in their relationship. So um, as a marriage therapist, it's all I can do to say, okay, let's uh, let's kind of try to then work on how that validation works within the relationship. Now, sometimes the person who kind of lacks empathy or, or doesn't really understand what empathy really looks like, um, and I have empathy for them for not understanding empathy because that comes from something way back in their past as well. But uh, but I just, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting is, is something I'm going to keep uh, an eye on. And if you feel like you're, you know, if you start agreeing or validating your partner, 
Um, here's an email that I got. Uh, I didn't even pull it up, so I'll just kind of paraphrase it. But this just came to me is I, I have a, a woman who is, uh, she's been listening to all my podcasts I, and she said that she's, uh, you know, she's trying to be more empathetic toward her husband. Now her husband doesn't know, he doesn't want to go to therapy, that sort of thing. But she said, the more empathetic that I am toward him, she said, actually, I feel like the more angry he's getting or the more empowered he feels. And I think that this is part of that. So she's saying, okay, you know, I, I have to start putting these EFT skills into play. But what's happening is the husband's kind of saying in his mind, finally, somebody gets it. You know, she she understands that she's at fault. And it, no, that's not the point. She's trying to have empathy and have more of an understanding of maybe what he's going through. So I uh, just want to talk about that a little bit. Okay, let's get to gaslighting. I've got a few gaslighting examples, but uh, one of the questions I get often in therapy, out of therapy, via email, out in the wild, is the more that people are talking about gaslighting, uh, the more that the question comes up of, is it intentional? Is it always malicious? Because, and this is this, man, I think about this often. And I think I shared either on one of my podcasts or even, I think it was on the Julie Lee podcast where, uh, uh, her ICU podcast, where I was a guest on hers. I've had her on mine as well, but she just kind of started talking about gaslighting and, and she's like, man, I, I, I think she said, I realized that that's something maybe I do from time to time. And I, and I let her know my wife straight up said, uh, few weeks ago, she's like, I feel like you're gaslighting me right now. And my first response wanted to be, are you kidding me? But then I realized, okay, you know what? By definition, she is correct. Um, I, she's trying to explain something to me and I'm going right into the, no, 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 that, that's, but that's not right. I mean, you're, you, you're not really hearing where I'm coming from or you're not understanding. And so I'm trying to basically tell her, Hey, what you're saying is wrong. And let me tell you, you know, why it's wrong. And, and, uh, and I can't believe you think it's wrong. I mean, I think I even kind of said that cause I was getting so passionate about, ah, you know, how, how, I mean, I feel like this is so clear and that you're not seeing this. And that was a, that was a humbling moment for me um, because I, I kind of had to step back and go, wow, how often do I do that? And so, so that's where I feel like gaslighting isn't always intentional and it's not always malicious. So I just wanted to find, you know, I always like to find a little bit of data behind this. And I found a pretty, pretty neat website called the Good Men Project. So it's goodmenproject.com and uh, an author, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, um, Paget P-A-G-E-T, Norton. And uh, it says... Um, is it intentional? The the gaslighting, four levels of gaslighting. And uh, and again, is it intentional? So here's here's what uh, Norton said. I'll do that. I remember when in school, you would always just say the person's last name. So I'm going to say that. So here's what Norton said. The following are four levels of gaslighting. Unconscious gaslighting. Um, two, awareness that something is off. Three, intentional. And I like the distinction made here. Intentional, more aware of an impact, but no intent to seriously harm. Because I feel like that's maybe where uh, where a lot of people end up. And four is malicious intent with desire to harm. And I feel like that's that's what a lot of people just kind of assume when they hear the phrase gaslighting. That, oh my gosh, my partner is doing this malicious intent with desire to harm form of gaslighting. So first, Norton talks about uh, unconscious gaslighting. They say the person is totally aware, unaware. Sorry, that's a big difference, right? The person is totally unaware that they are engaging in it. In fact, they perceive that they're being very reasonable in their intentions because they have no clue about the impact of what they're doing. They might even lack the capacity or willingness to question their own viewpoint in consideration of another's viewpoint. And uh, and I feel like that's kind of what I was doing when I had this awareness. I mean, it was complete unconscious gaslighting. And uh, the, the author says, here's what it can look like. The quote, I don't get it act. Um, over the course of a week, uh, they said, I explained and re-explained the company's vision to my colleague numerous times. I teach English at a second language for uh, for a living. Um, so I'm intimately familiar with how to break down concepts, reword definitions, and give examples. This was a totally different issue. My colleague continued to claim confusion over and over again. When somebody says they're confused and makes no effort to dive into why they're confused, 
they continually put the onus on you to explain. I love that concept. So when they're saying, look, I don't get it, they're kind of just saying, this is on you. And so the hard part is then when you're trying to explain and you're coming from all different angles to explain, um, then that's the part where it can just start to feel like there's this crazy making. So so uh, uh, Norton said, it not only becomes tedious, but it has you question what you're saying. So he said, I began to wonder, why am I not getting through? How is it that he's not understanding these ideas that I'm explaining? Then it hit me. He actually didn't want to understand, but likely he didn't know that. Somebody who truly wants to understand makes efforts in that direction. I love that concept in general, not just in communication and in gaslighting. You know, I had a, a client earlier in the week that uh, was kind of talking about um, struggling with some ADHD related things and just saying, there it is. I mean, it's my ADHD. And their uh, their wife was was kind of frustrated with that. And I understand that as a card carrying member of uh, ADHD subattentive type, also known as attention deficit disorder, ADD. That, uh, you know, a lot of times I can say, doggone it, you know, what just happened is a little bit of a, maybe a function of my ADD, but that doesn't mean period, end of story, that it, there's a big difference of, um, is somebody really trying to understand and then how do I improve or work with that? Or are they just kind of saying, there it is, you know? So I think that, you know, somebody who truly wants to understand or, or change will continually make efforts in that direction. And then uh, Norton says, coexisting in a parallel universe. Along with ignoring my words, my colleague addressed issues he claimed I had raised. This is as, as though I had mentioned ice cream, and his response was, well, when you talked about cheesecake. And I love that, right? Um, so as you can imagine, this was incredibly baffling. What was he addressing? Who was he addressing? Was he addressing me? If he had added the words like, this raised a different issue for me, X, then I would have understood. Instead, he would say things like, your point about X. But when I referred back to my messages to see if I had discussed X, it hadn't been raised. And I began to wonder if, uh, if we were existing in a strange and parallel universe with alternate forms of ourselves. I love that because uh, sometimes you do feel like, I, I mean, I've had a couple of instances with clients in particular. There was there was one where I really felt like a, a wife and a husband and I were all on the same page and a uh, wife kind of went right back to a behavior that I remember spending half an hour talking about in a session and then just 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 blank stared me and said, I, no, I, yeah, we never talked about that. And, I, and And it was like, oh, maybe that was a parallel universe kind of thing. Um, all right, so the second form of gaslighting, according to Norton from the Good Men Project, is awareness that something is off. Um, in this case, they say, I believe the gaslighter senses that something isn't working, but still isn't aware of the impact of the gaslightee. Likely, the gaslighter has had previous experiences similar to this one, has come to feel an uneasiness around the interaction, but still firmly trudges on ahead. Why would you change an approach if you think that you're right to engage as if you've been doing... Um, you're right to it. Okay, I love when you read on the fly and you don't really do so well. Uh, all right, let's try that again. Likely the gaslighter has had previous experiences similar to this one, has come to feel an uneasiness around the interaction, but still firmly trudges on ahead. Why would you change an approach if you think you're right to engage as, as you have been doing and still don't fully understand why people aren't interested in engaging? So uh, here's what that would look like. Uh, calls it the flood of words. I would send a short message to my colleague only to receive a delusion response. One sentence would receive a multi-paragraph response, and it was overwhelming and had the effect of totally wiping out anything I had said. I understand some people are more verbose, and I will take a pause here and say I'm a bit guilty of that. I got a text from a friend the other day who said, hey, you win the, the world's longest text award. And, uh, and it's, you know, I kind of had, then I felt bad and I explained that um, I'm texting on my MacBook Pro. And so I've got a full keyboard and I type like a 50 secretary. And so I, yeah, sure. I do tend to get a bit verbose. So, um, but they said, uh, okay, so somebody was verbose. Uh, so they say, so I'm, I'm well-versed in such a flood of words. At the same time, I would continually wonder, where did this come from? What was I asking? Uh, I wasn't asking that and so on. I felt my reality quivering. How 
um, how did what I wrote necessitate a response that not only didn't acknowledge my words, included a conversation I had never started, and was massively overwhelming in quantity? Furthermore, the flood of words did not seem to be my colleague's attempt to understand me or have an interchange. Instead, he created a wall of explanation from his own point of view, an endless tide of justification to push back and obliterate what he likely perceived as a challenge. The flood of words. So I, I really do appreciate that. Where I thought this was going the first time I read it was uh, I, I had a couple of experiences this week where, you know, you ask a pretty simple question in a, in a text and you get back com- something completely different. Or, you know, you ask two questions and you get back an answer to one. So then you ask the other one and then you still don't get an answer to that one. Um, but but this is more talking about, you know, you're kind of trying to make a point and then you get back a complete just flood of words about something, uh, something different. So that can be, you know, you're kind of just aware that something's off. The third type of gaslighting they talk about, intentional. And here's where I, I really like this concept. Intentional, more aware of an impact, but no intent to seriously harm. Okay. Um, so that, and I think that's the key is that no intent to seriously harm. So this is a person who has more awareness than the gaslighters in the first and second examples, number one and number two. They know what they're doing is harmful, but they would never describe themselves as gaslighting. They're, that, that's for truly malevolent individuals. They're not trying to hurt someone or drive them crazy, but they are into power struggles and winning. I think that's kind of a key um, to this concept. Here's what it looks like. Number one, stonewalling, refusing to answer what's been said. In fact, my colleague not only did that, he simply acted as though what I said never existed. Messages would be exchanged, and I was left wondering if he had actually read my words. Had my message gone through? I was certain that it had. Why was he so oblivious to what I had said? How come every word made little to no impact? My words disappeared into ether, never to be acknowledged again. Um, the second part. So there's stonewalling. That's part of this third example. There's a, And then they also talk about, I like this phrase, whiplash communication. The final straw came in one of our last communications. It's when the communication went from, I'm upset, to you don't have to respond, to I'm betrayed, and you said you would too, but you don't have to. Um, by the end of the message, I was left wondering if I should respond, should not respond, had done something wrong, had inadvertently impacted him in a negative way, um, but didn't need to say anything, right? There's so many kind of mixed messages there. On the one hand, I think the gaslighter in this situation is likely confused by what they are feeling. And on the other hand, it's not their first rodeo. I love that. It's not, they, they kind of have it. Sometimes I talk about if I jump back into the world of narcissism where uh, gaslighting is an art form, um, you know, there's, there's steps that, that you go through when you're trying to help someone in, in a relationship with a narcissist. One of those is recognizing what gaslighting is, um, learning how to disengage. You use that phrase often, disengage. Uh, on a side note, you're helping somebody learn boundaries. You're helping them raise their emotional baseline. And you're really kind of working on this concept that there is not going to be that aha moment. The thing you will say or the thing you will do where the, the narcissist will go, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, I'm, uh, I'm wrong. But, but I, this whiplash communication makes me think of, so with those skills at hand, oftentimes someone will kind of stay in a, in an argument or a conversation with a narcissist where they are truly being gaslit. Anything they say is going to be, no, 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 you don't understand. Or it's like, I, I never said that, you know, and, and they're kind of getting this kind of uh, conversation back. And I, and I often say that, you know, you will eventually find what their exit uh, phrase is for some. Um, for people with, uh, you know, I've got a few people, um, I've got one, one person was telling me about, you know, that, uh, their, their narcissistic person in their life will all of a sudden kind of just talk about their, oh my gosh, my blood, my, my blood pressure's dipping, you know? And so that's, that's their excuse. Um, so it's like, I gotta go sit down or somebody with uh, chronic pain, you know, my, my, oh, my legs hurting or that sort of thing. But typically what it looks like is the, you know what, this isn't even worth talking about. And, and that means, aha, okay. I, I kind of got to the end of the, you know, I, I got him. I, I, I made sense of something or it's the, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Or a lot of times the person will just respond with anger or they'll just say, 
I can't believe you don't understand this or, or that sort of thing. So at that point, then the, 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 the narcissist, the gaslighter, they've kind of run out of their um, dodging and weaving and stonewalling and whiplash communication. And so uh, they, they kind of have to put it into it somehow or the other. So on the, back to the Norton's uh, part about this whiplash communication it says on the one hand, I think the gaslighter in this situation is likely confused, right? But then back to that, this isn't their first time at the rodeo. They've done this before. Um, they know that others end up hurt, angry and unsettled by their actions. Sometimes when the gaslightee doesn't understand, the gaslighter simply tells them, here we go. You don't get it. In my case, it was true. The paradoxical pieces didn't make sense as a cohesive whole. But here's the one that I think people often think is uh, what all gaslighting is. So I, I mean, I'm glad that for this article and we were able to kind of break down those, those ones that maybe weren't malicious. The fourth type, they say, malicious intent with desire to harm. Um, this, is, this is textbook gaslighting, is what Norton says. And he refers, in Stephanie Sarkis's article, she outlines the warning signs. Blatant lies, denial, manipulation, um, wearing the gaslighty down, mismatching actions and words, aligning others against you, weaponizing confusion, projecting, etc. Holy cow, we could do episodes on each one of those concepts. Let me read those again. Here's the warning signs of malicious intent with desire to harm form of gaslighting, aka textbook gaslighting. Blatant lies, denial, manipulation, wearing the gaslighty down, mismatching actions and words, aligning others against you, weaponizing confusion, projecting. I mean, projecting, you know, it's like... uh, what, what are you saying about me? Oh yeah. Well, that's what you do, you know, uh, project or, or projecting the, you know, what their insecurities are on the person that's you know, on the partner or the aligning others against you is fascinating. This is one of those where it just doesn't happen in the real world. So I, I would never say to my wife, if I wanted to bring something up to my wife, I would never say, man, uh, Wendy, I was talking to man, a lot of people, I mean, people at church, uh, you know, uh, our neighbors, your, your, your family. And we all kind of think that you really need to do this thing that I really want you to do. I mean, it, that is just not normal. So it's, it's, it's amazing when I watch where people will, you know, often say, yeah, I mean, I was, I was talking to a couple other people too, and they all kind of think that you're a little bit too sensitive. And it's like, really? Um, and, and it's interesting when people kind of finally recognize this as, as part of gaslighting, this um, aligning others against you, you'll see people get a little empowered and just say, oh, okay, well, you know, or they'll say, yeah, I was talking to my, uh, my sister and she, man, she agrees that you've, you've really been this way for a long time. And, you know, the person will say, you know what? I feel so bad. Let's call your sister. Let's, let's just clear this up. Well, no, no, no. You know, I mean, we don't want to bother about it. I mean, it's so wild to watch that aligning against others. Um, but so then we've got the, the blatant lies, the denial, the manipulation, wearing down. So um, uh, Norton talks about gathering the army. This was the most malicious piece I experienced with my colleague. He had other people look at his project and inform me that they thought it was fine. I had to step away. If he was going to gather the masses against me and continue to prove his point against mine, actually the company's point, where was I to go with it? Nowhere. One person against an army is useless and it certainly had him questioning what he was proposing. Um, Norton said, gaslighting is much more prevalent than we think. Sometimes it occurs as microaggressions from people who don't know they're doing it. I would imagine most people are guilty of this. Amen. I agree. Um, microaggressions from people who don't even know they're doing it. Those come from insecurities. Those come from not knowing how to communicate or not having effective communication. Um, sometimes we know something's off, but we still pursue a line of inquiry. Uh, then things take a turn for the worse and we can be left feeling like our reality is starting to quiver, like a minor earthquake. And, uh, and then he said, the author says, in my case, it wasn't until somebody else pointed it out that I began to see it. With that new perspective, I was able to heave a huge sigh of relief and understand the furniture in my home had never been rearranged. Someone was just trying to make me believe that it had been. So I, that, I just, I love that article and I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. I think that there's an, actually the Goodman Project has a lot of good, uh, a lot of good articles from um, just kind of taking a look at there. So let me get to the examples. So this doesn't go on too long. Um, and I've changed a, a couple of things, not going to lie, because you don't want this to be completely, uh, you know, uh, 
somebody's, I mean, somebody's, I mean, people submit these all the time. And a lot of people say, Hey, you can just print this as is, if you think it would help, because I know that my, you know, my partner's never going to listen to a podcast, but uh, I still, I'm just letting, you know, I respect um, people's privacy, confidentiality, even when they're just sending me things. So, uh, but here, here's a few examples. Here's one. Very early in our marriage, he bullied me to the point that I wouldn't even drive in a car with him. It was, it was always, I was always either going too fast or I was going too slow. I parked too far away. I was too jerky in the way I drove. And then if I ever pointed out to him that he was going fast, well, that was different. We were in a hurry and we were in a hurry because I was the one that was late apparently. And if I tried to point out that I was actually ready to go, then he's like, okay, well, you never let me know that, but I've asked you a million times to let me know when you're ready. So the gas line just keeps on coming, keeps on coming. So then she said, um, I didn't understand. It was different if he parked far away. It was because I made him because he knew uh, I'd throw a fit if he tried to get closer, find a closer parking spot or waited. She said, I eventually just got to the point where I just hated getting in the car with him. But then even then he would say, why don't we ever go anywhere together? So, I mean, what a prime example of gaslighting. Uh, the second one that uh, I'm, that I put down today is uh, as I was thinking through the dozens and dozens of examples of gaslighting, the first that came to my mind was anytime I've been training for a race, a half marathon, a marathon. My husband worked at the time, but instead of being supportive, like I would hear of some of my running partner's husbands were, I was often told that I, that I needed to make sure that my running didn't interfere with his, quote, real life, and that he wished that he had the luxury of going on runs whenever he wanted. And then she put, she put side note, he uh, always went to the gym on his way home from work, but he worked out. That wasn't running. Whenever uh, he said, I didn't want to go, uh, she said, I didn't want to go at 4 a.m., but I had to, and I had to build in time just in case something happened and I couldn't get back in time because I made that mistake one time when we were in college, we had no kids. I pulled something. I'm assuming like a muscle or something. She said, I called him and I asked him if he could just come get me. He asked, it was a bad, um, can you walk? I said, yeah, I can walk barely. And she said at the time I felt like he was being empathetic or even sympathetic. And, uh, then he just said, you know, it would actually be better. And he said, how far are you away? And I said, about a mile. And he's like, you know, it would actually be better if you just maybe walked home because if I don't get to school at least an hour before my class, I don't get good parking. So unbelievable, right? And, and the, the hard part is that, you know, and she didn't even go on about this, but I've had those type of sessions before where that's the part where something is just off. You know, when there is a healthy, uh, not even a healthy relationship, when we're trying to use the tools, the emotionally focused therapy tools, that's, a, that's an emotional bid like I've never heard. You know, you weren't there for me. I needed you. I pulled something and I feel like you put the parking spot or even if it okay, park far away and, and walk the mile that I just had to walk with a, with a pulled calf for Pete's sake, um, to let me know that you care about me. And then, uh, you know, and you want the person to, that's hearing that to kind of have empathy and go, oh my gosh. Yeah, I know that's, I hear you. I, that was a jerk move, you know, but instead I will often hear, you know, well, okay, what about my emotional bid? You know, I, if I don't get there early, I don't get the park. And it's like, Okay. I mean, it, technically true, but I mean, the, the whole point of this is that we're going to be vulnerable, open up, uh, have empathy, share truths. And then the theory there is that, you know, the, are you there for me statement of, you know, in essence, pulling a calf muscle, walking a mile when the person could have just swung by and got her is going to rule the day, so to speak. All right. Um, here's another one. Uh, she said, I will, I know he will not actually do the dishes, but one time I asked him just to put away the leftovers because I was so tired after a long day. He said, you made the mess. You need to clean it up. Your hard day is nothing like my hard day. Uh, so she said, so it's always my job to clean the kitchen because I'm the one who cooks for the entire family. And I quote, make the mess. Um, here's another one. My, and this one's pretty fascinating. Um, this, this person said, my wife uh, said her love language is words of affirmation, which makes sense when our counselor is confident that maybe she has some narcissistic tendencies. 
she won't go to counseling anymore because she thinks the counselor is incompetent um, and does not know what uh, what the counselor is doing because the counselor questioned um, my wife's actions, not as much of the mine. Anyway, we discussed this and she said she really wanted me to compliment her in front of the kids as well. All right, no problem. I can do that. So she would make dinner, something that I know she doesn't enjoy. And I would make sure to compliment her for the dinner and thank her for making it, right? Assuming uh, that he did well. He said, I would compliment her on how the house looked and after uh, after she cleaned. I would compliment her on her looks as she got ready for church. At night, while lying in bed, she would ask, why don't you ever give me compliments? And and why you don't you tell the kids how amazing I am? So he says, I scratch my head and I remind her of all the times that I complimented her. And she says, yeah, but you're only complimenting me for the things you like me to do. So he says, again, I kind of step back, I scratch my head and I say, so you don't want me to thank you and compliment you for the things that I appreciate you doing. Her response, you're patronizing me. Me, really? You can't tell I'm genuinely appreciative of what you do and what you're doing and that I am sincere in my gratitude. Her, well, I know you're sincere, but you don't compliment me for the other things I do. Me, so you don't want me to compliment you on these things, even though I am truly grateful for them. Her, I want you to compliment me on other things and say how amazing I am. Me. So you don't really want me to compliment you on the things that I'm really grateful for, but you want me to compliment you on other things that you know I'm not really okay with and then say how amazing you are for doing those things that I'm not really comfortable with that we really don't see eye to eye on. Her. Exactly. Now you get it. Uh, He said scenarios like this bring confusion and leave me not wanting to give any compliments at all because they will now come across as patronizing unless I compliment her on the very things that took us to the counselor's office. Um, she wants me to compliment those actions as if there's no compliment at all, unless it's for the very things that we have issues on. Um, he's like, I, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And and I get that, right? And and that just brings up that whole concept of, you know, I'm sure that uh, if I had him in an, in an office, he would talk about just feeling like this concept of never quite feeling like anything's enough or right or feeling like he's walking on eggshells. I get to hear that phrase a lot. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells in a healthy relationship, in a, in a relationship that's working on a secure connection and a relationship that's based on you know, trying to work through these emotionally focused therapy models of being able to go to our partner with anything and knowing that our partner is a secure attachment that's going to say, tell me more. Um, you know, these kind of things are the opposite. Uh, if somebody feels like they're walking on eggshells, that is the, the one, 180 degree opposite, uh, experience of feeling like you can tell your partner anything. Instead, it's the, I don't know how he's going to react. I just don't. And, and that's the part where, man, you know, it breaks my heart and just please, please, uh, seek help. Um, go to a therapist, uh, do all that you can, because that's not the way that life is supposed to be lived. Um, if you listen to the episode I did a week or so ago about, uh, do I really need my partner? Um, it, man, I've had this, uh, so much feedback on that one, just about that whole concept of, of, uh, um, what's attachment and how, you know, we're, we're designed from the factory to, to want to attach to others. And so when we have a secure attachment, I, I was talking about this to a couple yesterday and, and I hope that this makes sense and I'll, and I'll try to wrap things up. But the, when we're so worried about what we are going to say or what we don't want to say, or if we're so worried about what what's my partner's response going to be, sometimes I can't even imagine the amount of mental gymnastics and mental calories that are being burned in that kind of a relationship. And I was kind of explaining that, you know, here's what the future looks like. When, when you know that you can go to your partner with anything, then those times where you are not, you know, where you're not in front of your partner, not talking to your partner are not spent on, man, what, why did that not go well? Why did that conversation go south? Or, oh, I can't talk about this. Or how should I, those kind of thoughts are gone. The new thoughts are now I'm thinking more about the things that my partner and I talked about, because I can't wait to get back to him and talk to him about, Hey, I was thinking more about what you said about this. And, 
And, uh, you know, do you think this might have affected, you know, this part of your life? Or, you know, I loved what you, uh, with the questions you were asking me about, the thing that I shared with you, and I was thinking about that even more. And, and you know, I want to talk about that more. And, and it just kind of dawns on me at times where that is a completely different ballgame. I mean, that's a whole different relationship. Imagine that relationship. Imagine the freedom that your mind has to then kind of contemplate and think about the mysteries of the world and know that you can go back to your partner and, and you've got this attachment and they're going to want to know more. And then every time you bring in a, a, an emotional bid or an attachment back to your partner, it's an opportunity to not only connect and feel validated, but then also to hear what their thoughts are. And then now I know something more about my partner. We have secured our attachment even more. That is the way a relationship is supposed to be. Um, all right, I will end with that. Uh, one more, I had one other note here actually uh, in the gaslighting part. Somebody had also said that uh, if I bring something up from the past, he would always say, boy, you sure ha- hang on to things, don't you? Um, yeah, because they're traumatic. And uh, that's, so I love when I get, and that's again, one of those kind of nice red flags when a new couple comes in and the guy will say, all right, you know, we're here, but I don't, I don't want to go digging through the past. You know, we're here, we want to make changes and, and let's just move forward. And that is, you know, red flag, ginormous red flag saying um, that it's like, uh, all right, I don't want to, I don't want to hear anything that I may have done wrong. Let's just move forward. The whole emotionally focused therapy concept is, you know, we can go back and look at the game film and, and say, hey, here's here's what that was like for me. Here's what I was feeling um, when you did this. And having your partner say, I had no idea. I wish we had better ways to communicate around that back when we were going through that. But thanks for thanks for sharing that with me. That is a much more productive way than we're not talking about the past, are we? So anyway, hey, thanks for uh, for for listening. And uh, feel free continue to send in examples of the gaslighting if you feel like uh, that is therapeutic. Um, still gathering those. Uh, got a couple of things that I'm working on that uh, some of those might. And I want you to know, this isn't just a me saying, tell me stories. I, I, you know, I get that all day uh, as a therapist. The, the, I cannot even express the, um, the types of emails, the amount of emails that I get now. I never anticipated that. I was telling somebody a couple of days ago that when I first started the podcast, and I didn't know if anybody would listen and I would say, Hey, uh, feel free to email me if, uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, you know, or just, just to share what your thoughts are about a particular episode. And, and I would think that'd be cool to get an email. And, and, you know, now I just, I feel so bad because I, I can't, I can't get to them all. I can't respond to them all. And, it, and that, that part is hard because I know people are really pouring out a lot of things in those emails. And, and I know that it's therapeutic at times to just write things out and to send things and, and just know that I do, I feel like I do get a chance to read all of them. I just, I wish I could uh, respond to more. But my whole point with that is that when I do an episode like this one today and I give these gaslighting examples, I, I guarantee you I'm somebody is going to hear this for the first time and, and I'm going to get the email and it's going to talk about, man, thank you. I, I just thought I was crazy. I thought, I thought that I just had to just, you know, just be quiet and just kind of just listen to whatever I'm being told that I'm, I'm wrong about. And uh, over time, that just starts to really eat at who a person really is. And if you've hear, heard any of the well, the podcast I do on, on you know individual therapy, this acceptance and commitment therapy model, I mean, or or when I talk about addictions or whether it's food or pornography or, or our screens or anything, that those all come from this void. When we don't feel connected in our marriage, when we don't feel connected as a parent, when we don't feel connected in our career, our health, our faith, any of those areas, um, our brain is like, man, I got you. I, I got to, you know, let's just go to something that's just going to feel good and numb out. And then over time, that just becomes a, a quick fix and an immediate gratification and, and when you have secure connection in your marriage, when you are both working on a, a solid parenting foundation, when you're in a career you enjoy, when you're really uh, truly honest and explore um, your faith, when you're, when you're really I don't know, trying to make progress on health or food or those sort of things, not perfection, but progress, 
life is is a pretty darn good thing to be living. And so, uh, anyway, so when people send in examples and that sort of thing, they lead to episodes like this, and then people hear them, and then people become motivated, and they try to get help, and they change. So, I'm grateful for all of you who listen, who spread the word about the virtual couch, and who do send in comments. I'm, I'm forever uh, grateful for that. Um, I think at the beginning of the top, I forgot to say, uh, head over to TonyOverbay.com and sign up um, there to an email list because uh, there really are some super cool things I never imagined that are coming up, and I would love to keep you informed on those. All right. Uh, Until next time, I will uh, talk to you again on the virtual couch.